Welcome back to the Healthy Parenting Handbook podcast. Today's guest is none other than Katie Kimball from Kent Cook Real Food. Today I'm talking with my alter ego, Katie Kimball, because she is the host of the super popular No More Picky Eating Challenge. Over the last three years, this challenge has served somewhere between 10 and 20,000 families. Why don't we know the exact number? Well, because it's so good that people tend to come back. They tend to do the challenge again because they really want to cement the new habits and routines that Katie helps them set into their families' threads, into their fabric, into the structure of their lives because they know that the action steps in the No More Picky Eating Challenge really make a difference in a lot of families. Statistically, we know that 85% of families who take this No More Picky Eating Challenge actually feel less stress at the dinner table just within five days. That is the ultimate goal. We want our kids to have a better relationship with food. And to do that, they need to not have a negative relationship with their parents getting in the way of the kids and the food. So lowering the stress for the parents is the primary goal. Now, it's also super cool if kids do try something new. It's not the goal, but between a half to two thirds of the kids who participate, whose parents participate in the No More Picky Eating Challenge in just five days, five tiny life's changes, they actually taste something new, which is incredible. This challenge serves kids everywhere from just your average run-of-the-mill picky eater who loves their mac and cheese, who changes their mind all the time, and who is kind of driving their parents nuts with their pickiness, all the way to our, our really kind of extreme picky eaters who are maybe only eating five foods or 10 foods total throughout week after week. That's a, that's a huge span. But what's great is that the action steps in the No More Picky Eating Challenge are the foundations. They serve everyone, no matter what's going on. Some people need more help beyond this, but these are the foundations. So Katie, that's a little bit of an overview of the No More Picky Eating Challenge. Today, my alter ego guest is going to demonstrate what happens when people in the challenge and people who move on with the Picky Eating Playbook Pep Club membership ask her questions, because this is one of the best parts about joining a challenge like this or joining the pep club is that you get access to Katie to answer your questions. So today I'm going to ask my alter ego, Katie Kimball, some of our most commonly asked or so somewhat commonly asked at least questions from our pep club members and Katie will give us the answers. Our first question is about hydration. So Katie, are there any strategies you know of to get a child to drink more? Our member's four-year-old daughter drinks such a small amount and it's really affecting her digestion. The parents try to offer water and orange juice and milk at meals. She only likes one kind of milk, which is a cashew milk, and it's been out of stock lately, so the parents are getting even more worried. Mom asks, should I always have something out when she's playing? Sometimes I find that if she is playing and I take her cup to her, she will drink. Well, thanks for that question, Katie. Obviously, hydration is a big deal, especially if it's affecting the child's digestion. If they're getting constipated and, you know, their poops are hard and, and little and pellets and they're not coming as often as they should. Um, we do want to remember that hydration counts for all liquids. So, yes, water, juice, milk, soup, grapes, watermelon, like there is hydration in, you know, water heavy things that we eat. However, yeah, we definitely want to see our kids drinking enough and four-year-olds can can get really distracted and sometimes they don't listen to their feelings of thirst. Um, 
sometimes they don't have great feelings of thirst. Hopefully, when they're really thirsty, they do drink enough. Um, so two strategies. Yes, I would say do what you can to try to increase the drinking. Um, I, I think it's a great idea to have a cup out. And if you've noticed that if you take the cup to her, she'll drink, like go for it, especially in times where maybe you're riding in the car. That's a great time where boredom kicks in and the child isn't too distracted to drink. Um, I would definitely recommend just water between meals because we don't want like juice or milk on their teeth all the time. And we definitely don't want the calories of juice and milk interfering with the dinner that you want to serve them. On the other hand, so like this kind of second one-two punch at this hydration thing is to serve more hydrating liquids. So um, we know that if you, if you think about Gatorade, I don't like to give your kids Gatorade, but the reason Gatorade is sold as a sports hydration drink is because it's got some electrolytes in it and it's got some sodium in there. And so you can um, make homemade versions of that. There, there's a couple different ones on kitchenstewardship.com that you can search for homemade smart water and homemade electrolyte drink Gatorade knockoff. Um, again, we don't want we don't want like lemonade or you know different things going on their teeth all the time. But maybe with a snack, it would be a great idea to serve something that's a little more fun. And whether that's floating a few raspberries in the drink or putting some lemon or some lime in there, whatever whatever can maybe like draw the child in. Um, we my husband has to do this too if he drinks carbonated unsugared water and he drinks like green tea and different things that just have some flavor because he doesn't he doesn't get excited about water and a lot of kids don't either um so yes hydration at meals milk is great for the meal and it does count for hydration i would not serve milk or juice between meals um but do what you can to get that in and to and to make it a little bit more fun especially in times when she's not distracted well thank you for that very thorough answer katie our second question is about what you call team one meal. And this is the encouragement to families that everyone at the table really should be eating one meal. We want to smash short order cooking all to pieces. Short order cooking is way too stressful for parents and it doesn't give kids the right message, but it can be really tough. Here's a question from one of the pep club members. Me and my husband eat completely different meals. We rarely share any component at the dinner. I eat salmon and veggies. My husband eats a lot of meat. He likes everything with heavy cream or butter, while I avoid eating saturated fat. This does sound very tricky. Based on your advice, I was thinking about deconstructed meals, and mean, meaning serving the meals in various parts, but that's not even possible in our case since our meals are so completely different. We do sit down together to dinner every night, but how important is teen one meal? Our daughter is only two and a half and she is a picky eater. Do you think the fact that we eat different meals are affecting her? Is there anything else we can do to create that family unity? I get this question, various versions of this question about families eating differently a lot. Sometimes it's uh, actual dietary needs, like they have certain sensitivities or food allergies that make it tricky for the whole family to eat together. Uh, sometimes it's the parents are on a diet like keto or whole 30 or they're you know they're doing some sort of elimination that makes it difficult and sometimes it's just man child a eats x y and z and child b eats a b and c and they just don't seem to have any crossover i'm exhausted short order cooking so as a there's many strategies to employ but let me share just a couple today first we want to try to deconstruct our meals and that basically means that we serve the same meal yes we need to have family unity and have you know team one meal both for your stress level moms and dads because you can't be cooking two and three dinners every night. 
and because we need our kids to see that they eat what we serve, that we have family unity, and we all eat together. Now, does that mean everybody's plate looks the same? No. That means that everything is served to everyone. So if you're going to serve something like, you know, a a chicken salad or tacos or Asian food with rice and vegetables and meat, these are great, great um, opportunities to deconstruct. So let's say stir fry. You cook your rice. Don't season it. You cook your chicken or your beef. Don't season it. You cook your vegetables. Don't season them. Serve them separately with sauce on the side. And I know this might be a little bit of a bummer for the adults because we might like those flavors all mixed together. Well, guess what you can do? Grab your individual portions of meat and vegetables and sauce, throw them back into the pan in which you already cooked the chicken, stir them up for like 30 seconds to a minute, right? That's going to melt those flavors together and heat it up a little bit. And then the adults are happy too. Um, That way, everyone can choose what they eat, but your kids get exposure to all the things and they realize that this is a family meal. Within that family meal, I have choices, okay? We had a couple perfect examples just in the last week because we have one child with a dairy sensitivity and my husband is currently on keto. So for example, my daughter made a barbecue chicken salad with rice on the side. My husband microwaved some cauliflower rice for himself. It was no big deal. He skipped the corn and he skipped the crushed chips that went on top of the salad because everything was served in individual dishes so that people could build their own salad. If you have kids who don't like a lot of seasoning, that's really common, especially with our younger aged kids, like 10 and below. It's it's super easy, you guys, to just as you're cutting up your meat or your vegetables to pull a little bit to the side that is unseasoned. Again, ideally, try not to create a ton of additional dishes, right? Um, but if you can just cook that unseasoned bit, maybe it's, you know, on a cookie sheet, put that to one end. If you're, if you're you know, mixing stuff up in a fry pan that can get a little more difficult but again all these things like a lot of these things cook fairly quickly so be creative think about how can i like quickly cook the unseasoned and then pull that out to a plate kids don't love hot food anyway right and then make add the seasoning or cook all of the meat or all of the vegetables pull just a little bit out to a plate and then add the seasoning or the sauces it's it's really easy once you plan it out okay once you decide that it matters to be on team one meal um, we, again, I said I have a dairy-free daughter. And so if I make a dairy-full dish, that's that can be tricky because it's stuff like cream of potato soup or like a creamy sauce and a casserole and it's all mixed together. But we we do a couple things to make this work. So if I make cream of potato soup, I'm going to cook all the vegetables together in the broth and then I pull a little portion out to a small pot before I add the seasonings and the milk or cream. Yes, that makes one additional pot for dishes. It just it just is what it is because that's what my daughter needs to feel safe about the meal and to feel healthy throughout the day. Um, similarly, if we do a casserole, we tend to just, you know, we cut up all the pieces and we put them all together, pour the cream sauce over it, and but we've already pulled out what, whatever the pieces are to a tiny casserole dish with no cream sauce or with no cheese. And they just both go in the oven at the same time. So it's really, it's it's very few minutes of extra work, like less than five minutes of extra work to accommodate for what my daughter really, really needs. Um, Sometimes some dishes leave our dinner rotation or they come into our dinner rotation when that child is visiting a friend (laughs) or is eating dinner away from home. Um, And those are just the sacrifices we make to make sure that everyone is cared for in our family. Well, that makes perfect sense. And there are a lot of ways to get to the end goal of Team One Meal in those situations where families have different needs, different dietary preferences or different dietary requirements. 
Now, speaking of a lot of differences, what about the kid who changes his or her mind all the time? I know this is a topic and a a little habit that drives parents absolutely bonkers. This mom, one of our pet club members, says, what do you do if you make something for your child that they used to like, but now they won't eat it and say they want something else? In this case, my example happened at breakfast and was avocado on toast. Should I make him something else? I can see now that this is why I used to ask him what he wants to eat because I didn't like this happening. I understand long term I don't want to be doing this. So what's the strategy? Is it always about giving a few options even at breakfast? Thank you so much. Oh, the mind changers. They're aggravating, aren't they, parents? They're so aggravating when you know that your kid ate this maybe just yesterday and they don't want it today. So first, a little bit of science-based encouragement. Some kids, particularly our highly sensitive kids, if you notice that your child is maybe a little more emotionally sensitive or maybe they're a little more sensory sensitive, the the textures and sounds and uh, the feel of things can bother them a little more. Sometimes those kids really are tuned in to what their body needs and their body might need the avocado toast Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then maybe the body has met those dietary needs and on Thursday, they don't really need the avocado toast. Maybe they really need egg and sausage. Maybe they really need something light like a yogurt parfait. And uh, and sometimes kids are actually tuned into that. That's really hard, I think, for a lot of us adults to even imagine because most of us were raised so that we're not listening to our bodies super, super well. So that's a language that we aren't tuned into that we don't understand as well. So that's the first encouragement is, you know what, sometimes they're just right. Sometimes they're just right. Sometimes it's not that they don't like it. It's just that they don't want it or don't. their body doesn't need it that day. Now, on the other hand, some kids are just flighty. They're just changing. They're just being a little stubborn. They're just asserting their will, which is part of their job as well as kind of test those boundaries and figure out, you know, where their their choice ends and where your control begins. Um, So how do we balance that without asking, hey, what do you want to eat? Because if you know anything about the division of responsibility, which I teach in the No More Picky Eating Challenge, so I won't go over it right now, but come to the No More Picky Eating Challenge. The division of responsibility is really important and it's key. It's critical not to give the children the choice, the full-on choice of what to eat out of anything in the world because that is the adult responsibility. That is too big of a task for a child and it can actually cause them anxiety even though we are trying to give them choice and, and kind of reduce their anxiety and reduce problems in the family. So what what are some balances on that? Particularly for breakfast, that maybe not for dinner, but you can maybe offer two choices. You know, do you feel like avocado toast or eggs and sausage this morning? If if that works, like if everyone, if everyone else has already had avocado toast, then maybe that's what you have to have. Um, a lot of times at meals, I'll recommend that there are multiple options. Okay, so maybe it's so like for us, when we serve avocado toast, we usually do have sausage on the side because we want, you know, we've got the carbs in the toast, we got the fat in the avocado, we want that protein as well first thing in the morning. And so if the child says, I don't want avocado toast, I would say, well, hurry, how many sausages do you want? Right. And so they're still getting some food. Maybe it's not a super balanced breakfast, but they will balance out throughout the rest of the day and the rest of the week. And so some of those like small choices within boundaries can be perfectly acceptable. Hey, parents and grandparents, do you wish that your kids would help out a little more around the house and maybe eat their vegetables? Let me tell you that knowing how to cut up produce is the key to making both of those happen. 
our members' favorite cooking class year over year is our 10-minute knife skills and safety video. In that video, we teach kids ages two to teen how to hold a knife and how to hold the food. We use fun phrases like up and over soldier and hey, hey, out of the way that build a common vocabulary for your family to safely use knives, both with parent participation and later independently. It is an incredible skill for your kids to have. And you know what? I would like to give that training video to you for free. Just go to kidscookrealfood.com slash free knife skills. That's kidscookrealfood.com slash free knife skills. If you can't find it, just go to the homepage and click preview in the menu. It's right there all the time because we love building independence in the kitchen for kids. And I firmly believe that if you support real food, that means knife skills. Now back to the podcast. If you hit a point where you serve the child the food and this is the option, there's nothing else, they may have to, they may end up skipping a meal. Hunger is not life-threatening when it just happens over a single meal or a single small set of hours. It's definitely time to have a conversation with that kid like, ooh, all right, we don't want this to happen again tomorrow. Let's talk about breakfast and let's talk about this, you know, avocado toast. They may not be able to articulate. They might just say, I just don't like it anymore. Um, ideally, again, if it's a two-part thing with the avocado toast, you could say, would you, can I just serve you toast? You like toast with nut butter on top or something that you're willing, like something that's easy that you're willing to do. Again, if this is dinner, huge proponent of team one meal. We want it to look the same. So I would never recommend at dinner that you say, would you like something else? It's got to be one of the options that are on the table. And then the next eating opportunity is whenever that is. It might be bedtime snack. Rarely is that a good idea. That might be breakfast. Um, part of the kids eat real food peaky eating playbook process is, is that we it is a process. There are many steps to implement before kids are going to potentially be able to have a better relationship with food. So the mind changers are aggravating, but it's surmountable in, as long as you try really hard to remember that your job is still to provide the choice of what to eat. Your, your job is to choose what to eat. If you want to give your child two choices and a meal like breakfast or lunch, when TM1 meal is not quite that important, then you can do it. But make sure that you are not short order cooking and letting that child run the show because a child running the show is an anxious child that is the adult's job to make the decisions. Make sense? All right. Totally makes sense. And I love how, again, there's not always one right answer, but we do need to work with our kids. Speaking of never having one right answer, what about the classic problem of a healthy eating family sending their kids over to a friend or family member's house for a sleepover? We hear this one a lot. This is from one of our Picky Eating Playbook members again. She says, I'm looking for advice on junk at other people's houses. My kids are going to a sleepover with my daughter-in-law and she has no boundaries on food. I don't like this for many reasons, health, self-control, etc. Do I address this with the mom at the other house or do I need to do something for my own kids? I often call this one the grandparent factor because especially for little kids, they're often going to the grandparents' houses and the grandparents' food philosophies might not line up with what we're trying to do to help our picky eaters. So when a child's going to someone else's house, whether that's the grandparent, whether that's a friend, whether that's a family member, especially when it's a sleepover, because that's probably multiple meals, there are a couple options. First, I don't think it's out of line at all to speak with the other, you know, the parent or the adult in the other house and ask, what's on the menu? What are you, you know, what are you eating? 
here I have some concerns that if my child eats X, Y, or Z, that they're not going to feel well. Put it on like the child, not your rules, but say they might not feel well. They're not used to that kind of food. They might, their behavior might go, you know, haywire and I don't want that for you. So really trying to make it about that other person. If it's a grandparent, you you push on the love for the kid, right? We're really working on this picky eating problem, grandma or grandpa. And I, when I really need you on board because I know you love your grandson or your granddaughter and that we know that this is best for them. And so I really want to explain what we're doing and get you on board. Okay, the closer they are in your family, the more you can pull them on board as opposed to just saying, hey, what's going on? Maybe send your own food. It's possible that if there's a huge clash in food philosophies, that this isn't the right place to go for meals, that it's the right place to go for a three or four hour play date, you know? Um, now, I understand that those are some really big discussions. Ideally, if the child's a little older, nine, 10 and up, you can talk to the child and you can talk to them about the food differences, right? Just ask them questions about what they've noticed in the past, about the differences in what, you know, you eat at home versus what they eat in that home and and ask them, you know, what they want to try. Kind of let them make some plans. I'd really like to try soda. Okay, well, why, why don't you? But what if you tried a small serving just in case it doesn't make you feel well? You know, like especially again, 10 and up, 12 and up, especially we've got to let our kids begin to experiment and experience different foods and the way it makes them feel. But if we turn that awareness on in their brain before they have the experience that they're actually paying attention to how they feel, they're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of where we were in our childhood and leaps and bounds ahead of their cohort group, their peers, because they're connecting food and how they feel. So maybe they need to have a little binge on junk food in order to realize, gosh, I didn't like the way that made me feel. I don't love junk food. Okay. And and also they might eat a binge on junk food just so that they know that's not totally restricted because totally restricting a food tends to cause kids to desire it as soon as they have the opportunity to make their own food choices. So I would say there, there's a, a huge range of things you can do, but wherever you choose to fall on that range of talking to the other adult versus talking to the child versus both, be really respectful and ask more questions than answers you get. Thank you for that encouragement for parents. I know another tricky situation that sometimes you say, Katie, is more of a parenting situation than a food situation, but those those get really intertwined really quickly is those kids who just won't come to the table. Here is a common question from another pep club member. Is it okay to withhold a kid's snack or dinner if they are being uncooperative by not coming to the table? I don't want to create fear that they aren't going to have enough food and be hungry, but man, sometimes it's a motivator to get them ready for bed faster so they can have a bedtime and a snack, et cetera, or just get them to the table and get going with our dinner and our and our eating routine. What should I do in this situation? You're right that I often say that food issues are sometimes parenting issues disguised as food issues, okay? And when kids aren't coming to the table, we think it might be about food and, oh my gosh, I don't want them to feel like they're going to be hungry or create a fear that they won't have enough food. But it really is. It really is a parenting issue. So I want you to think about how do you keep your kids from running out on the road when they're little? You know, how do you get them to do their homework? Whatever strategies you have used successfully that you feel really good about, use some of those same strategies when kids won't come to the table. Um, if you need to set a time limit, hey, everyone, you know, I need everyone at the table in 10 minutes or dinner is over right? The ability to serve dinner is over. You, If you say it, stick to it because that's the only good parenting answer, right? You have to do what you say. 
Um, ideally, it only takes once or twice for kids to learn that you are serious. Make sure you don't save them with a bedtime snack. Right? If you don't, especially if you don't usually have a bedtime snack. We here at Kids Eat Real Food and the Picky Eating Playbook Pops Club recommend that there's at least 90 minutes between the end of one eating opportunity and the beginning of the next. For most families, the end of dinner and bedtime are about 90 minutes apart, which means there's no space for a real bedtime snack. So don't save them with a bedtime snack. If you do have a normal bedtime snack and it's 90 minutes away, make it boring. Give them one choice and make it something that they that they don't love. It should be something they like, but maybe it's, you know, a yogurt or a banana or a dinner brought back to life. Okay. Sometimes we do need to be a little strict when kids are being that disrespectful. Thank you for that. And again, we know that food and parenting is so intertwined and there's never a perfect answer, right? Parents, even parenting experts still make mistakes with their kids, but we keep doing the best we can with the knowledge we have today. Our last picky eating question from another pep club member is about getting more comfortable with foods. This starts out with a huge praise and some great uh, successes. Our member says, my twin boys are doing better with picky eating as a result of the pep club, the picky eating playbook. Most of the time, they're actually tasting the food, even taking a bite. This is new. However, then they spit it out almost immediately and say they don't like it. Any tips? All right, last question. I love hearing from this member that her twin boys are becoming more comfortable with food because that's what it's all about. It's it, the, our process for helping kids through picky eating is not necessarily about getting them to eat a lot more food. That's the end result. But the point of the process, the goal of the process is to build a healthy relationship with food, which means that it is a success if the kids are in, engaging with food, if they're encountering it with curiosity instead of fear, if they're letting it touch their mouth, even if they're spitting it out. So for that, just getting more comfortable with food, the trick and the promise and the magic is time. It's just time. Time and your poker face. We talk a lot about that in the No More Picky Eating Challenge, how we parents do need to keep that poker face so that kids don't get that we care that much about their food because that can initiate a power struggle, especially for our strong-willed, stubborn kids. So I think your twins are on the right track. I want to see what happens with more time and continuing to implement our pep club process. Oh man, what a joy and a fun little podcast episode interviewing my alter ego, Katie Kimball, the host of the No More Picky Eating Challenge and the picky eating expert who founded the Picky Eating Playbook, the Pep Club Parent Support Group. Again, the No More Picky Eating Challenge is actually for parents to take. It's not for the kids. Like our, our cooking classes are definitely for kids and families to take together. This is for the parents. This is parental professional development for you adults to institute some new routines, some new habits, some new phrases that can come out of your mouth. The No More Picky Eating Challenge is a very structured challenge. You get Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with one simple action step each day. Simple, always easy because parenting is never easy, but they are simple. They're, they're basic action steps that you can take. You get Saturday and Sunday off to catch up, to watch the recordings, to implement. And then Monday and Tuesday, we're going to come back with two final action steps. Again, at the end of that time, 85% of our challengers feel less stress at the table. So if you're one of those moms, one of those dads who just says, oh, I hate dinner time. It's so stressful. It's all power struggles trying to get my kids to eat. And I'm so worried about my kids' nutrition because they're a picky eater. Or on the flip side, I'm just annoyed. My kids eat enough, but they're changing their mind all the time. I feel like I have to short order cook and I'm exhausted. 
if that's you, if you just want your kids to uh, eat what you make, then the No More Picky Eating Challenge is definitely for you. Because again, almost everyone who takes it sees a reduced stress at the table for the grownups. Most of our challengers also see reduced stress at the table for the kids in just the five days. And between half and two thirds see their kids accept a new food, which is not the goal, but it's pretty exciting to see. This is not just, uh, these are not normal tips. These are not just little like tricks or techniques or twists to get your kids to eat. This is foundational stuff, routines and habits and techniques that you can implement in your household to help build your kids a healthy relationship with food. You can sign up for the next No More Picky Eating Challenge at kidscookrealfood.com slash picky challenge. We run this at least a couple times a year. So no matter when you're listening to this podcast, definitely go to that page. If it's not actively, if we're not actively open for registration, then that will become a wait list. So again, kidscookrealfood.com slash picky challenge. This is a totally free, no more picky eating challenge with five easy action steps, less than 30 minutes a day. You can put me in your ear just like this podcast and listen to the videos. You can catch up on those. There's replays because hello, you're a busy parent. You might not be able to make the live time. The No More Picky Eating Challenge is my gift to you because I really, really want to see kids building a great relationship with food. and I really want parents to feel like they have a great relationship with their kids without all the power struggles that can happen around eating and dinner time. I look forward to seeing you there.